The reading today is from Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken. For dust you are and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and to take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him, from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, 
he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning and welcome back to our sermon series on the beginning and the end. Since we spend so much time in the middle, uh, we're going to be looking at the first three books of Genesis and the last two books of Revelation. And today we're in chapter three of Genesis, where we're going to be looking at lies. Now, just a very brief recap. In Genesis one, we looked at a God who is creator and who is relational. He makes us in his image which means he makes us to rule under his authority structure. And for us, ruling looks like work. It looks like causing fruitfulness and flourishing in the world around us and people in particular. And then in Genesis 2, we saw some more of that being fleshed out. And our preacher, Mark, gave us this really fantastic warning uh, that humanity had not to overreach but to stay within the authority structure that the Lord had given them. You see, humans aren't to be uh, overly dependent on God. We aren't robots. We've been given free agency. We've been delegated authority to rule. But also, we aren't to be completely independent of God. Our authority comes from the mandate that he's given us and the structure that he's put in place for our good and for our flourishing. Independence would be usurping God's authority and displacing him. In fact, God's called us to something which is much closer to an interdependence, uh, to a ruling alongside him under his authority. It's a bit like a relationship uh, that a parent has with a child. Children help out in the home as they watch their parents and imitate their parents and abide by the uh, the boundaries set in place in the house which are there for their good Child, children aren't to be overly dependent on their parents and um, because if they do they won't mature well but also they aren't to be independent of their parents and usurp their parents because if they do that well i'll tell you they're going to be in for quite a shock and so this is the authority structure, the relationship uh, that we see is there from the beginning in Genesis 1 and 2, and which we find the crafty snake finding his way into in this passage that we're going to look at. And we're going to study this chapter uh, under three headings. The first one is going to be, what lies are you listening to? And the second one, is going to be what lies are you feeding on and the third one will be what lies do you need to turn away from so we start off with what lies are you listening to now in verse one in the beautiful garden we find a snake who is more crafty than any other animal that the lord god has made and did you notice that it was the lord god who made him which in Hebrew is Yahweh Elohim. It's the name of the relational covenant God. I am who I am. The God who is known by the man and woman, known by Adam and Eve. 
and the serpent gives God a different name. I wonder if you spotted that. He uses the impersonal, uh, the Elohim, or that God. And he asks, did that God say to you that you can't eat from the trees in the garden? You see, the distortion starts at that point. Uh, the, the personal God suddenly becomes impersonal and Eve finds herself judging God. She starts asking in her head, is he not generous? And um, she starts questioning his, her understanding of, of him. Uh, could she have misheard him, potentially? And you might have asked yourself some similar questions. Wouldn't a loving and generous God, we say to ourselves, allow us to have that thing that we've always longed for? How generous is he really? Maybe I've misunderstood God. Maybe I've misunderstood his word to me, we say. And so Eve defends God. But you see what she does in verse 3. In replying to the serpent, she adopts his language for God. Instead of calling him the Lord God, she just calls him God. Instead of the relational God, he is suddenly that God, simply just Elohim. And she says, God did say dot dot dot. And she goes further than God's boundary marker, in fact, saying that they would die if they even touched the tree which isn't something that God has told them. And at this point, the fall has already started because Eve has already stood in judgment over God and she's already started uh, picking up the language of the deceiver. But the deceptions are so appealing, aren't they? And also, they appear to be true. Did you notice that the serpent says that if they eat from the tree, their eyes will be opened in verse 4 and lo and behold, in verse 7, their eyes are open when they eat from the tree. And they're also told that eating from the tree will make them like God, knowing good and evil, in verse 5. And lo and behold, in verse 22, we see exactly that coming from the mouth of the Lord God. So are the snake's words lies or are they in fact true? Now we have to admit that there has to be uh, some truth in those words that he gives because any good deception does contain truth but at the same time the result of following his words is the destruction of the very structure and relationships which God has created human beings to flourish in they got what they were promised but they lost everything else as a result it's like the, the businessman who gets the success that he dreams of, but at the cost of the family who he said he was doing it all for. And these are the kinds of lies that we live with all around us all the time. Lies that are based on the truth, that may bring the success that they promise, but at the same time, they cost all that is truly valuable. Now, I'd suggest that we can't stop listening to lies. That's just the nature of this world that we live in, that there will always be lies around us. I mean, every time we walk past an advertising billboard, we get some sort of advert, like the one from 
uh, Gillette, um, you know, Mach 3 razors, where they appear to bring us closer to our wives. Or we turn on the TV to a series that my wife and I have been watching, uh, called Jack Reacher, where we find out that we can be a hero, an independent hero like Jack Ryan, sorry, Jack Ryan, not Jack Reacher, can be an independent hero. We don't need to work with others, we can go it alone. Or we go on into work and we hear the, that noise again in our head that says, just one more promotion and I'll be able to give um, the family the time that they need because suddenly flexibility will fall into my lap. But we need to recognize these things that we hear around us as the lies that they are, even though they might be based on the truth so that we don't adopt their language. And I'd love to suggest that in our spare time, maybe in time that we have personally with the Lord, we might be asking him to reveal some of the lies that we live in that are all around us and catalogue them, write them down, uh, be experts at knowing how they deceive us so that we can recognise the distortions of the truth that they are and that we can stop ourselves um, being prone to speaking their language and adopting as uh, their lies. Now the man and the woman are tempted by the fruit that will make them like God. But in fact, it's crazy. They've forgotten that they are already like God. They've been made in his likeness and his image, which we heard in chapter one, which means that they're called to rule under his authority with him as father interdependently. The only way to be more like God, in fact, if they want to be more like God, the only way to be more like God is to replace him completely, to be independent of him, which is what they shot for, in fact, in their disobedience. Living in a world of lies around us isn't sinful. It's just the nature of what we do now, post the fall. But succumbing to their lies and feeding on those lies is sinful because it displaces God. And so this takes us nicely into our next question, which is what lies are you feeding on? So our next question, what lies are you feeding on? In verse six, we see that the man and the woman find that the fruit is good to eat. And they've decided that the snake's idea is a good one as well for gaining wisdom. So they eat and the fall continues. God's rule starts to unravel. His image bearers destroy the structure that he has set up for their very flourishing. As the German theologian uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, the woman who is created to be man's helper, who is a suitable partner and to give him the strength to bear his boundary, leads him astray. The serpent, one of God's creatures even becomes an instrument for evil. And so suddenly the, the unity is divided. The two like opposites, man and woman, start hiding their bodies. And did you notice who the man and the woman are hiding their bodies from? There's no one in the garden except the two of them. So they're hiding their bodies from each other. 
they're denying themselves to the other one. Bonhoeffer again. Nakedness is the essence of unity, of not being torn apart, of being for the other, of respect for what is given, of acknowledging the rights of the other as my limit and as a creature. Nakedness is the essence of being oblivious of the possibility of robbing others of their rights. Nakedness is revelation. Nakedness believes in grace. Nakedness does not know it is naked, just as the eye does not see itself or know about itself. Nakedness is innocence. And this is a picture of what has been lost. The covering up, the division, the robbing of rights, the loss of innocence. And this act uh, which Adam and Eve uh, fall into changes everything for everyone forever. The world will never be the same again. Impurity has been introduced into a pure world like a crystal vase shattering or just that smidgen of yolk that goes into the egg white that is being prepared for meringue. It can't be undone. Therefore, ever since this point, humanity has been rotten at its core. As King David writes in Psalm 51, Surely I was sinful in my mother's womb. Our problem is both sin and sins. Sin is our fallen state which we are born into. And sins are those acts which uh, we commit of sin. In the late 19th and early 20th century, Rousseau and others made an attempt to discard this idea of original sin, arguing for the innate goodness of human nature. But unfortunately, it is the world wars that shattered that idea. As J.C. Ryle, the old bishop of Liverpool, wrote uh, of inhabitants of distant lands, which in his day in the 19th century were being discovered, if the inhabitants know nothing else, they have always known how to sin. He was saying sin is in our very being from that point on. It's in our nature. And in fact, we know that to be true of our own lives and of those around us. We make little idols for ourselves just all the time of body image and of success at work and of sport and of sex and of houses and of hobbies and family and whatever. We always are, are turning good things into absolutes, as Tim Keller writes in his book, Counterfeit Gods. And in doing so, we circumvent and displace God, worshipping created things. Uh, and and in, that, in doing that, uh, we are um, displacing God. And we're destroying the order that he made us to flourish in. Now we might be asking the question, what lies are we feeding on? What lies are you feeding on at the moment? 
you'll know that they don't conform to God's plan and his rule and his word. But you consume them anyway in order to make your life just that little bit better for the moment. It was fascinating recently watching a documentary on the, the, the past president, Bill Clinton, and how he just needed adoring women around him to energize him. Uh, Bill was feeding on a lie which ultimately caused division and disunity, uh, and it caused covering up, and it caused a fall from grace. What do you feel you need to energize you, which ultimately you know is a lie from the deceiver, even though it seems to be the truth now? What lies are you feeding on? Which leads us to our final question, of what lies do you need to turn away from? Finally, we ask the question, what lies do you need to turn away from? In verse eight, we see Yahweh Elohim. We see the personal covenant Lord God uh, back on the scene again. And here he's walking in his garden in the cool of the day. And he's come for a chat. So he calls out to Adam and the man replies from his hiding place, a bit like me at the moment. Now, we encounter here one of the most ridiculous scenes in the Bible. We see um, a man and woman hiding from an omniscient and omnipresent God, a God who sees everything and knows everything, and they're hiding in his garden. But how often have we done this with God? How often have we kept parts of our lives hidden from God, refusing to be willing to change them, even when we see his word calling us to change. And God says to the man, have you eaten from the tree? Now, we know that Adam and Eve have messed up and they basically just need to come clean with God. And for those who've had children, have been around children, they've seen this happening all the time. Uh, we so often have a situation where we say to one of our children, one of our boys, look, if you've hit your brother, just say sorry and it's all going to be okay. All you need to do is say sorry to restore unity and to bring about forgiveness. But as Alton John says, sorry seems to be the hardest word. It's not something that comes naturally. So we find man unable to take the blame. And so he shifts the blame onto two others. He shifts it on to that woman who has been made for him as a blessing to him. And then he shifts it on to the maker, to God. And the woman does the same. She shifts the blame to the serpent who God made. And there's an inference there that she's shifting the blame to God, who's the maker. And so both the man and the woman continue to sit in judgment over God, usurping his authority over them, breaking their relationship and calling for independence, blaming others, refusing to turn away from the path they've started on, even if it means a long drop. And I wonder whether you recognize any of their actions and attitudes in your own life. I certainly do in mine. However, in this cataclysmic fall 
into deep darkness. There is a shaft of light that appears in this passage and it's in verse 15. We read Yahweh Elohim, that personal covenant God, saying to the deceiver, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. You see, there's going to be an offspring who is born of woman who will crush the head of the deceiver, ending his reign of lies forever. And we read of the result of this in the story of another tree. And this tree doesn't appear at the beginning of the Bible, but it appears in the middle of the Bible. And it's the tree of Calvary, where a man hung dying, a second Adam, one who didn't sin, but rather one who took the punishment of death for all who might have life in him. And all that we need to do is to admit our sin. We need to do what Adam didn't do in that garden, to say sorry and to submit ourselves to God's authority, to his kingdom, uh, to his relationship of interdependence, which he has created us for, the relationship of children with their father. J.C. Ryle, in his time-tested book on holiness, starts with the chapter on sin, because he knows that uh, where holiness starts, all right relationships with God start with the realisation of our sin, admitting our lies that we've been feeding on and turning away from them, giving them up. So our three questions again, what lies are you listening to? What lies are you feeding on? And what lies do you need to give up? We're now going to have the choir singing over us and during this time I'd really encourage you to spend this time with the Lord asking him those three questions. We have Yahweh Elohim with us, one who knows us and loves us and has created us for a relationship with him, one who wants to walk with us and take care of us, one who wants to be our father. Let's trust him, let's live in the structure of authority that he's created for us and for our flourishing. Let's pray during this time of meditation.